Turn, if you would, tonight to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. It's good to see each of you this evening. Hope you're glad to be here. Amen. All right, good, good. All right, 2 Corinthians chapter 6 is where we're going to be, and let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we are glad that we can be in your house tonight. I pray that you would bless this time together. I pray, Lord, that you'd use... Uh, the words this evening that are spoken uh, to be a help to us, that it would be a challenge to us, and Lord, that we would get from this message what we personally would need from it. I pray these things now in Jesus' name, amen. Well, a couple of weeks ago, you may remember from chapter 5 that the Apostle Paul spoke of the ministry that he and those who were with him had, that ministry of reconciliation, uh, trying to show others their need of being made right with God through Christ. And in that sermon, I tried to remind us that each of us have that same ministry where we need to be trying to, to show others their need of a right relationship with God through Christ. And it's sometimes hard to keep that in focus. Sometimes we get so busy with so many other things that we lose sight of what we're supposed to be about as we're going through our daily lives. And so I tried to remind us that if we can remember that every person we come into contact with has a soul, then hopefully that can help motivate us uh, to be more vocal in this need of reconciliation. And then last week we looked in verse number 21 where Christ or where Paul further explained this transaction that took place uh, between God and man. He spoke of Christ and he said, who knew no sin, he became sin for us that we might be made the righteousness of God in or through Christ. And so I was trying to remind us of just how significant that transaction was. The fact that Christ, the sinless, perfect, holy one, was willing to take on the sins of mankind, to pay the penalty for the sins of mankind so that we could be made right with God. That is an amazing transaction, and it's one that we ought not ever take for granted. But it is so easy so many times to lose sight of the value of that, to lose sight of the significance of it. And so we're oftentimes not as grateful for it as we ought to be. And so uh, it was just a challenge to remember what's been done for us uh, through Christ uh, for us so that we can have a right relationship with God. So that in mind, those last two sermons tie in to tonight's message to an extent, and that's why I went through the review in the way that I did. But tonight I want to begin by having us think about something that I think all of us understand. I think every one of us are aware of this, that in our culture and in our society, there have certainly been professions where if a person said at a young age they wanted to go into that line of work, then that would be an honorable or a respectable line of work they were going into. Just to explain what I'm talking about if you're not sure, how many of us have ever heard a young person say that whenever they grew up they wanted to be a fireman? Well, we've heard lots of kids say that over the years, right? Whenever I grow up I want to be a fireman. That is respectable, that is honorable, there is nothing cringeworthy about that statement. If you heard a young person say something like this, I want to be a doctor, well, we would say, well, that's very admirable, that's very good, that's very respectable. If they said, I want to be a policeman, we would say, well, that's good, that's great, that's wonderful, that's, that's a very honorable profession that you want to go into. But I want us to think about this for just a moment. What if you were talking to a young person and you said to them, so what do you want to do with the rest of your life? 
and they said, I want to be a used car salesman. What might you think almost immediately? You might think to yourself something to this effect, well, that's too bad. It's a shame you're not going to do something good with your life. What if you were talking to a young person and they said something like this, well, whenever I grow up, I want to go to college and, and I want to be a personal injury lawyer. I, I want to be the person who takes the case for the person who doesn't know that coffee is hot, spills it on them, and then I get them millions of dollars because they're too dumb to know coffee's hot. That's what I want to do. I want to be that personal injury attorney. What might you say to that? Well, that's kind of a sorry profession to go into, right? Nowadays, with the climate that we're living in and that we're a part of, if you were to talk to somebody and, and ask them, so what do you want to do with the rest of your life? If they said, I want to be a career politician, you'd say, my goodness, have you considered law? You might want to be a personal injury lawyer, I mean, compared to what a politician is, because we don't hold, unfortunately, we don't hold lawyers in the highest, or uh, politicians, we don't hold politicians in the highest regard uh, compared to a lot of different professions that a person could choose. So you understand this, that there are some professions that if a person went into, it's, we'd say, well, it's very admirable, it's very uh, respectable, it's honorable, whatever. But there are other things that a person could choose to do with their lives, and you'd say, my goodness, that's not good. You ought to do something with the rest of your life that, that might actually be profitable or helpful or, or respectable. Now, as we think about that, just follow this thought for a couple of more moments. I want to ask you this question. Who is responsible for the used car salesman's reputation? Used car salesman, by and large, are responsible for their reputation, right? The personal injury attorney, who is responsible for the reputation they have been able to achieve over the last several years? Well, they would be responsible for that reputation, right? right. Same would be true of most politicians. The reason that most politicians have a bad rap in the minds of most people is because politicians have worked hard to earn that reputation. That doesn't mean that every used car salesman, that every attorney and every politician is as bad as we generally think they are. But as a whole, they have worked to achieve the reputation they've got, no matter how negative or, or disrespectful that it may be, or non-respectable, I don't know the right word, they have worked hard to achieve the reputation that they've got. Now, we're going to deal with that principle in a couple of moments, but look tonight, if you would, in verse number 1 of 2 Corinthians chapter 6. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse number 1, obviously is where we're going to begin. Just to let you know right up front, we're not going to deal with number 2 tonight because that's kind of a side note of what's being said in these first few verses. But obviously Paul, continuing his thoughts to the believers there in Corinth, said this, said this, We then, as workers together with him, beseech you also that ye receive not the grace of God in vain. 
We then, as workers together with him, beseech you also that ye receive not the grace of God in vain. For just a moment, I want us to be reminded of who is writing this, and that is the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul is the one who is penning these words. It is the Apostle Paul who is writing this or having his thoughts put on paper. Uh, Whoever is traveling with him at this particular time, we don't know exactly 100% for sure. But we do know who his audience is. We know it's the the members there in the church at Corinth. And and here's what I want us to, to think about and to be mindful of tonight as we get into this message is that the assumption would be that this letter is being read by people who would profess a faith in Jesus Christ. This letter is not being written to just the the general population of those living in Corinth. It is being written to the members of the church there in Corinth, those who were a part of the church family, and no doubt those who would identify themselves as believers, those who had been reconciled unto God through Christ. So he identifies himself, Paul does, as a worker or a laborer together with him. And he says, as a worker, he says, we beseech you that ye receive not the grace of God in vain. So whenever Paul says that he is beseeching them, what is the idea behind that? What is Paul trying to convey with that use of the word beseech? It's simply this, I am pleading with you for this to not be the case. I am begging you that this would not be the case. So what is it that Paul is pleading with them, begging them, or beseeching them in regards to? He said, that you also, or I beseech you also that ye receive not the grace or be a recipient of the grace of God in vain. So whenever he speaks of the grace of God, what is that a reference to? What is Paul talking about whenever he speaks of the grace of God? Well, he's talking about the kindness of God. He's talking about the mercy of God. He's talking about the favor of God. So here he is as a laborer, as a worker, as one who is involved in this ministry of reconciliation. And he says, I am pleading with you that as a recipient of the grace of God, do not let it be that you have received the grace of God, the kindness of God, the mercy of God, and the favor of God. Do not let it be said of you that you received that in vain. Do not let it be said that as a recipient of the grace of God, that you received that in vain. Whenever Paul uses this word vain, I know that most of us know this, but I just want us to think about this. The word vain means to be empty, to be worthless, to be void of substance, to be pointless, to be of no value. So he is saying to those in the church of Corinth who would identify themselves as believers, of this grace that you would profess to be the recipient of, uh, of this reconciliation that you would say has taken place in your life, he said, I am beseeching you and I am begging you, I am pleading of you, do not let it be said that the grace that you received is pointless of no value. 
Something that would be worthless. Something that would be void of substance. Don't let that be said of you. Now think about this for just a moment. Doesn't that almost seem like an illogical or an irrational request to make of someone? If someone has been saved, if someone has been made right, if someone has been reconciled unto God, it seems almost like an irrational request to have to say, please now don't live in such a way that the faith that you say you have received actually looks pointless by the way that you live your life. That doesn't seem to make sense because if you go back to what was said prior to that, Come on, as a result of our salvation, we are a new creature. And as a result of being a new creature, what is supposed to be true? That old things are passed away, and behold, all things are become new. So here is Paul, and what is he doing? He is pleading with them, saying, listen, as a recipient of the grace, I am begging you, do not let it be said of you that the grace that you received is really void of any substance. Pointless. Worthless. Of no value. It seems like an odd request, but it was a valid request, wasn't it? How do we know it was a valid request some 2,000 years ago when Paul made this request? Whenever he pleaded with them in regards to this, how do we know that it was a valid request some 2,000 years ago? All we've got to do is look around today. We're going to spend a few minutes on this tonight. Maybe not because you need it, but maybe because someone in here possibly needs this because we might be surprised at, at where people are really at if we could just kind of pull back the curtain and see people for where they really are in their Christian lives. But I want us to think about this. How many people tonight do we know they have a testimony, a profession of salvation? They would suggest to you that Jesus Christ saved them, that at some point they were reconciled unto God through Christ. That may not be the exact words they would use, but how many of us know people like this, that while they claim this, this profession of faith and this testimony of a relationship with Christ, it sure does seem to be in vain. Boy, it sure does seem to be void of anything of substance. There doesn't seem to be anything from of value uh, coming from them. Think about this. How many people do we know they claim to be saved and yet they have zero interest in the things of God? You cannot convince them for anything that they might want to reevaluate their personal relationship with God. They would fight you and they would be offended if you suggested for even a moment that they're not saved. And yet at the same time, you cannot interest them in the things of God for anything. 
Now, you and I are not the Holy Spirit. You and I are not the ones who know the hearts of men. So we don't know what transaction is truly taking place in the heart of that individual. But I'm just saying this. If you know someone who identifies themselves as a child of God and they have no interest whatsoever in the things of God, that is someone who at best has made in vain this grace they say they're the recipient of. If you know someone who calls themselves a child of God and they've got no desire to be in the house of God, their faith at best is vain. It's empty. Well, Brother Kyle, you couldn't possibly say such a thing. How do you know their heart? I'm not saying I know their heart. I'm just saying this. If we know someone who claims to be a child of God and they have no hunger for the house of God, for the things of God, then at best, when looking at them, at best, all you can say is, is there ain't much to it. If you're talking to someone and they would boldly declare this faith that they have in Jesus Christ, but they have no hunger for their personal walk with God, it is a vain faith at best. If you and I know someone who claims this faith in God, And there seems to be no sensitivity towards sin whatsoever. They can live in sin. They can live in disobedience. They can live in rebellion to the truth of God's word. And it doesn't concern them whatsoever. Friends, at best, it is a faith and a grace that was received that has been done in vain because there's really not much substance to a faith and to a grace that's been received that doesn't make the person have a hunger and a thirst for the things of God. I want us to think about this tonight because it's so relevant to where we're at. We know that what Paul said made sense. We know that the request was a legitimate request because all you've got to do today is look at those who identify themselves as believers. And here's what you see so many times, that their lifestyle looks no different than the lifestyle of the ungodly. I want us to think about this. How many people do we know that claim to be saved, and when they are not on guard, meaning they're just being who they are, how many of us know people who in their testimony of salvation, whenever they are living their unguarded life, they look and act and sound so much like the world, you couldn't begin to tell the difference between them and the lost person. I'm just saying that that's a vain faith and a grace received at best. Because if you think about it, if there is substance to it, if there is merit to it, if there is value to it, it's going to change one's lifestyle, is it not? Well, of course it is. We know that what Paul said was valid. We know that it was legitimate. We know there was reason for him to beg this of the people because if you look at people today, here's what you see. You see that the priorities of people today are no different amongst so many of the saved than they are of the lost. You may sit here and say, Brother Kyle, you're touching on this again. Yes, I'm touching on this again. I want us to think about this. 
look at what drives the world and look at what drives the average professed believer these days. Oftentimes you can't tell the difference between the two. They've got their career. They've got their financial goals. They've got their dreams for their children. They've got their aspirations for what their kids are going to do. They think like the world. They approach things from a worldly standpoint. They really don't ever view things from the biblical standpoint, from the things of God standpoint, unless it's an afterthought. I'm just saying... We are living in a world today where people who identify as believers in Christ and reconciled with Him, I'm not saying they're not saved because I don't know. I'm just saying if you look at their priorities and what they pursue and, and what matters to them, it is very much a grace that appears to have been received in vain. There's not much substance to it. I'm just going to touch on one more, and there's a reason for this, and we'll go back to it in a couple of moments. Look at the average family these days. And ask yourself this question. Amongst those who claim no church affiliation, affiliation with the things of God, Compared to those who claim to be saved, who claim to be the recipient of the grace of God, ask yourself, how much is a difference between the lost and the professed saved individual and family today, more times than not? There's really not that much of a distinction between the two. You, you look at how the professed Christian family is living and, and, and how the husband and wife have their relationship and their relationship with the kids and the kids with the parents. And, and I'm just saying, it's not uncommon amongst the so-called children of God to see things that are an absolute mess in that family unit. And if the wills haven't fallen off yet, it's only a matter of time until the wills do fall off because the family is not living according to the truth of God's Word. I'm just saying, here is Paul begging people some 2,000 years ago, please don't let it be said of you that the faith or the grace that you received from God was in vain. I think if Paul was alive today and he looked at modern day Christianity and how people are living their lives, I think he would say to you and to, and, and to myself and to anyone that he could have some audience with, he would say, please, please, don't let the grace that you have been the recipient of look pointless and worthless and void of any substance. Why is that? We'll jump down to verse number three. He says, giving no offense in anything that the ministry be not blamed, but in all things approving yourselves as ministers of God. Don't let this grace that you've been given be pointless, void of any kind of substance. Don't let that happen. And then he goes on to say, 
Giving no offense. What does it mean to give an offense? It means this, to, to place a stumbling block in front of someone. Something that would trip someone up. He said, listen, believers, this is not just true of myself, it is true of you. We should be living in such a way that our lives would give no offense in anything. In any area of life that you want to consider, it should not be a stumbling block to the lost. So if you want to talk about what you hunger and thirst after, Paul would say what you hunger and thirst after should never be a stumbling block to the ones that we're trying to reconcile unto God. Your priorities, your outlook, your lifestyle, your family, none of that should be a stumbling block to the ones that we're trying to minister to, that we're trying to serve. He said, giving no offense in anything that the ministry, the ministry of what? The ministry of reconciliation, that this ministry that we are engaged in be not blamed. What does it mean whenever he says that it be not blamed? It means this, to be mocked or to be ridiculed. To be mocked or ridiculed. This grace that you are the recipient of, don't let it be in vain. And don't do anything in any area of life. Don't do anything that would be a stumbling block to the people that we're trying to reach. And he said, and don't do anything that would cause this testimony to be blamed, to be ridiculed, to be mocked to be scorned, to be laughed at. Paul says in verse number 4, But in all things, in everything, approving ourselves or commending ourselves as the ministers of God. What is he saying? He is saying this, In every area, our lives should be bringing forth the praise and it should be complementing this testimony of salvation that we profess. So I know this is somewhat repetitive, but I want us to see this. Paul says we have a ministry of reconciliation back in chapter 5. That's what we're supposed to be about. We're supposed to be trying to show people their need of a right relationship with God through Christ. So he says, I'm begging you. Don't let the grace be empty and pointless and void of any substance. Don't live in such a way that people would stumble because of the testimony that you hold and the testimony that you have in front of them. And please, don't do anything that would cause people to laugh, to scorn, to ridicule, to mock your testimony. Could you please do what brings praise and glory and what brings honor to the testimony that you have? It's a fairly simple request. 
but it was a fairly needed request, and it is still a fairly needed request. How do we know? Let me ask you something. Has there ever been a time in our nation's past where Christianity was somewhat held in a high regard, generally speaking? Well, of course there was. There have been times in our nation's past that communities and cities and states and even countries cared about the position of the professed Christian. The Christian was held in some kind of honor, in some kind of a regard. They were mindful of what the believers thought about certain positions. There was a time, you know this as well as I do, there was a time when the thoughts and the ideas and the opinions of the Christian business people in communities mattered to to what was going on in the rest of the community. There was a time where people who identified themselves as Christians, generally, I know not to a person, but generally speaking, there was a time when the person who identified themselves as a Christian was at least respected by people, even if they themselves were not believers. But where is our culture at today? Being a Christian kind of puts you in the same category as being a used car salesman. Identifying yourself as a Christian these days kind of puts you in the same category as, as being that personal injury attorney or being that politician. You, go, you know where I'm going with this. Being a Christian today really doesn't put an individual in the greatest of company these days. How did the Christian community in general find themselves in that position now? It's kind of like the used car salesman, the attorney, and the politician. Professed Christianity has worked hard to earn the reputation we now hold. I mean, just think about it. If you were an outsider looking into modern-day Christianity, what would the appeal be based on what we see of most professed Christians these days? Whenever Christians can't be drugged to church because they've got so many other things going on, let's be honest, what would the appeal be for someone outside the church to become a child of God? Whenever the, the outsider is working with the one who is the Christian and, and the outsider is hearing the same foul language come from that person that comes from him and, and the other person, well, well, why would there be an appeal to be involved in that? We've heard people say things like this. Oh yeah, I know so and so. I used to go to the bar with them on Fridays and they'd be in church on Sundays. What would be the appeal? 
When so many families inside the church are a mess, that, that the people outside the church could be told, you need a relationship with God. For what reason? Modern day Christianity has earned the reputation that we now hold. The fact that it's not honored, the fact that it's not respected, the fact that it doesn't have you know, the reverence that it once held, at least in the general sense, it, it's there because modern day Christianity has worked hard to gain that reputation. Modern day Christianity has been its own worst enemy. Because the grace that's been received appears to have been in vain for so many people. Let's listen. It's been a stumbling block to the lost. And it's now something that's mocked and ridiculed and blamed and laughed at. Some of us are going to hear this, but I'm, I'm telling us we need to hear this. We, as Christians, have become our own worst enemies. Because of our lifestyle, because of our priorities, our approach to life, our family unit. Just put this great big umbrella and label it Christianity and say we have gotten where we're at not because the media attacked us, not because the politicians went after us, not because the school indoctrinated our kids against Christianity. No, we're where we're at today because Christianity, by and large, has, has given us and earned us the reputation that we've got. And tonight, what I would like us to consider for just a moment is this. Have you and I contributed to the reputation that modern-day Christianity now holds? Have you and I individually, have you and I personally somewhat contributed to the stumbling blocks and to the blame, to the laughing, to the mocking, to the ridicule, have we to any extent contributed to the reputation that Christianity now holds? I'm not saying it's true of every person in here tonight. I'm just saying this. If most of us were honest, here's what we would have to admit. That to an extent, we have helped contribute to the negative reputation that people have toward Christians these days. I'm not saying to the same extent as everyone else. I'm just saying, let's think about this. How many times has it been true in our own spiritual life that we've not really had a hunger for the things of God like we ought? Have we ever been there? We just kind of got put on cruise control in our spiritual lives and, and we were just going through life just kind of doing the church thing, but we weren't really living it outside of the church. Friends, whenever that's us, that's you and I then contributing to the problem because we are then giving forth a grace that looks vain and void of any substance to the people looking on. 
Have we ever gotten in a point or gotten to a point in our, in our spiritual lives that we weren't too worried about our own sin? There could be sin in our lives. We knew it was there, but we weren't going to change anything. That's you and I contributing to the problem. Has there ever been a time in our lives personally, I'm saying us personally, that the lifestyle between us and the person who is outside the umbrella of Christianity, the lifestyle between us and them really didn't look that different? If so, we contributed to the problem that we're now, de- that we're now dealing with. If we looked at our own personal priorities, the things that drive us, the things that motivate us, the things that control our thinking, has it ever been true of us that what's controlling our priorities are the same things that's controlling the priorities of the lost? If so, then we're contributing. If we don't have our family in order, we want to spout off Christianity, We're contributing to the problem. If our home is a mess, and we want to tell everybody else how they need to get their business together and get their act together in the way that it's supposed to be, if that's what we want to do while ours is a, a mess, people are laughing at us. People are mocking us, and they're mocking everything that we claim to stand for. There was a time when Christianity had a pretty decent respect, had a pretty decent viewpoint from the outside, because in general, people were trying to live it. But it does seem, if we're honest... That for so many, the grace that's been received appears to be done in vain. Not a lot of substance to it. Somewhat empty. As a result, that serves as a stumbling block to those on the outside. And it gives them something to laugh at and to ridicule and to scorn. It really should be said of us that we give no offense in anything. That our lives really can't be a stumbling block to those on the outside. But so many times there's not just a whole lot of difference between the professed believer and the acknowledged unbeliever. And I'm just asking us tonight... Do we ever contribute to the problem? If so, we need to realize the effect that it's having on Christianity as a whole and try to make changes. Let's all stand tonight and bow our heads for prayer. Fathers, I come to you this evening. I pray that you would help us, Lord, to... Take into consideration where we may be contributing to the problem more than we realize. Lord, maybe we've never thought about the impact that we're having on the overall picture. 
God, I pray that you would help us, Lord, to, to realize that we need to live in such a way that our, that our actions would not be a stumbling block. Lord, that our actions would not be an offense. That it would give somebody the room to laugh and to mock and to ridicule the faith that we say we're the recipient of. God, I pray that you'd work in our hearts tonight, however you'd see fit. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.